Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, he walks in. He brings a host of gifts, joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come, for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, nor the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. This is where you get up close to the inquisitive minds of the Archdiocesan faithful. So how are you today? Very well, thank you. Today is the World Day of Prayer for Vocations, and the Church focuses its attention on vocations to the ordained ministries, consecrated life, missionary life. Talk to us for a minute about what the Archdiocese is doing in order to attract young men to serve the Church in these ways. Well, I would answer your question this way, that when you say, what is the Archdiocese doing? Hmm. To me, it's very clear that vocations arise from the Catholic people of the Archdiocese. And uh, so there's an aspect of it that involves uh, it's programmatic and offers some leadership, some encouragement, and that's what I try to do as Archbishop. Uh, that's why we have the prayer after Mass on Sunday asking the Lord, who said in the Gospel, to send laborers into the, ask the harvest master because the laborers are few and the, the harvest is great. So the Archdiocese does that, but it's ultimately not an institutional thing. It is the homes of our Catholic people, of our parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts uh, that have to foster vocations not only to the priesthood and religious life, but also even to, to uh, Christian marriage as the church uh, receives that teaching from God, from Christ, about what marriage is. So the breeding ground for vocations would be in the family then? Absolutely. Now, there are cases, obviously, through history and today, where people have embraced the priesthood or religious life contrary to the wishes of their family. That's an uphill battle for some people, uh, and it still happens that way sometimes. But when you talk about the great need we have for ordinations to the priesthood and consecration as religious women and men, this has to be nurtured in the home. This prayer, you notice it says, make my home, my parish, my family. Mm -hmm. uh, I always, when I say that prayer, emphasize the word my. Originally, when it was submitted to me, it said, because as we say it together, make our parish, our no, I said my, not our because we each have to have a personal commitment and responsibility to do this. Are you more positive, hopeful about this state of vocations within the archdiocese? 
Or is there something more that we can be doing that, I mean, that prayer is very, very important, it's said. Well, what can I say? It's, uh, this is not just about the priesthood or religious life. This is about the Christian state of life. It's mm. about religion in the United States. How many young people are not getting married? They're not even entering the sacrament of marriage, yet alone uh, those that might be feel called to the priesthood or religious life. We're living in a very troubled age when uh, people are not supported uh, in fidelity to the life they embrace. You know, when it's a, a, a world of absolute freedom uh, to pick up and leave at any point, anything we're doing, when it's a culture in which we can define ourselves, uh, this is an uphill battle. And I don't want to suggest that there aren't good people and faithful people and believing people, and we have to do everything we can to assist them spiritually and materially to make the right choice. But I'm simply saying that this is a, uh, a wider question than just a shortage of priests. Today is National Honesty Day where we celebrate honesty in those who are honest and honorable in their dealings with others. Sad that we need a day to observe what everyone should be doing daily. Huh? Is it just me, or do you find that in today's age people are more accepting of those who lie or live untruths? Oh, I don't know. I think, you know, the seven deadly sins are always with us, and we are all in need of redemption and repentance, and people do fail. I, I think, though, one of the things we have to be very wary of is— uh, in the past, there was a uh, stigma and a social uh, uh, kind of uh, pact about, that was rooted in religion about uh, uh, living an upright and honest life and, and, you know, doing things properly. Today, a lot of that is eroded. Well, let's put it this way. If you don't have religion to be the foundation of uh, the, the way you govern your life, I think it's much harder than to live an upright life. I really do. Tomorrow is the first day of May, a month that includes celebration such as Memorial Day, First Holy Communions, Mother's Day, and the liturgical year's month of Mary. Christian custom of dedicating the month of May to the Blessed Virgin arose at the end of the 13th century. Do you have any suggestions as to how our listeners can celebrate and honor Mary during the month of May? Well, certainly by an effort to say the rosary more frequently. And not just to say it, but perhaps to read something more about it, particularly to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary as far as they are an uh, integral part of that prayer. I think uh, to be intentional in one's prayer uh, to honor the Mother of God and ask her help. She's the patroness of our country under the title of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, you know, we've there's so many ways in which Our Lady, through uh, apparitions that have been recognized by the Church as having validity, has begged people to pray for peace uh, and to pray for conversion of sinners. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that we, we uh, ask Our Lady to do. And during the month of May, anything we can do to further, that makes some effort to further devotion to her in our prayer uh, is for the good. And Tuesday, May 2nd, is National Teacher Day, a day to show appreciation for all of the remarkable individuals who have dedicated their lives to teaching. I'm wondering if you could say something of encouragement, to, especially to our Catholic school teachers? Well, I think all teachers are, whether they're in the Catholic school or public school, I think they certainly are dedicated people and they strive to do their best. Uh, admittedly, one of the difficulties, one of the challenges we face for our Catholic schools is that even highly motivated teachers for Catholic education still have to support a family or themselves 
and uh, so we cannot match uh, in in funds what what uh, the public system offers. However, just this last few days, I received a report from our school's office saying that it's very encouraging that uh, we are getting more applications uh, for teaching in our Catholic schools from public school teachers who are leaving that system because they're very frustrated by what's going on in some mm. areas of public education. Now, I don't want to paint that with too broad a brush. Uh, it, there must be some very specific instances of particular individuals where this is happening. But it's, it's in one way, it's interesting. In another way, it's sad that whatever they feel is happening out there, they're uh, disillusioned enough that they want to seek a job elsewhere. And the elsewhere uh, includes our Catholic schools. So a benefit to us is if good teachers apply for the Catholic schools. Uh, but we take no delight, uh, no satisfaction about hearing problems in the public schools. We, we as, as good citizens and as uh, Catholic people, we want the public school system to be good and to succeed as well. But certainly what we do, uh, we feel, is making a contribution that uh, is essential for the good of uh, people's souls and for the good of society. Thursday, May 4th of this week, is the National Day of Prayer. It's a day inviting people of all faiths to pray for the nation. Created back in 1952 by a joint resolution of the United States Congress, signed into law by President Harry S. Truman, We've discussed prayer so many times on this program before, but I, I think the question is, is people realize that this is a national day of prayer. Maybe some are wondering, why do we need a national day of prayer in our country? Well, I don't know how many people pay that much attention to the all these national days that we have. Some we pay a lot of attention to, or different groups of people do. But, uh, you know, to talk about prayer is to... Uh, imply that we are believers in God. Um, and of course, that also includes religion, although some people would argue that they believe in God, but not any organized religion. But I would say anything that encourages people to recognize that, you know, God above and beyond this visible created world, and anything that gets them to pray uh, to God, uh, which to me means uh, honoring God and God's commandments and the dignity and rights of every person, uh, that's all to the good. Let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis drawn from some of his writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from uh, the Pope's homily that was delivered on December 14th of 2014, and is called Think of Good Things. The Pope says, Give thanks. How should I give thanks, you ask? Reflect on your life and think of the many good things that life has given you, so many. But, Father, I have also received many bad things, you say. Yes, it's true, but that happens to all of us. Think of the good things, I say. I was raised a Christian. I have Christian parents. Thanks to God, I have a job. My family does not suffer from hunger. We are all healthy. The list goes on. There are so many things. Give thanks to the Lord for these. We get used to feeling joy from these things. Pray and give thanks, says the Pope. Your thoughts? Yes, well, sometimes, you know, we um, we think that we're pretty good, and, uh, you know, we're not bad people, we're not immoral people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we can never be smug about that. We always have to thank God, because the old saying that some people ridicule now, but that goes, but for the grace of God, there go I. 
mm-hmm. but for the grace of God, there go I, which simply means that, okay, I'm not uh, a murderer, a cheat, an adulterer, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but we all know in our heart of hearts that we have an inclination to evil and temptation, and maybe it's because God, and I wouldn't say maybe, and the fact is that God has protected us, God has shielded us from by the graces given to us and the opportunities we've had and the people in our lives has uh, protected us and and uh, preserved us from falling into our uh, the the evil inclinations of our personality of our nature. So we should be very grateful to God for the life we have. Uh, we should never presume that we're you know. And Jesus, of course, was very harsh to those who were self righteous. That somehow we are you know good people and we don't do this. We well yes, but by the grace of God, we are we have walked the path that we've walked. So we always have reason to give thanks to God for all that we've received. And I think one day it might be revealed to us in eternity what but for the grace of God might have happened to us. And then we'll really be thankful. Well, we've certainly got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners. But before we get to those questions, let's take a look at our gospel reading for this fourth Sunday of Easter, the 30th day of April. Now, today's gospel taken from John's 10th chapter. After the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking for your thoughts. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What are your thoughts, Archbishop? The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. They follow him. Hmm. Well, of course, the image of Christ as the Good Shepherd is one of the most beautiful ones, at least I think. It certainly appeals to me, maybe because, you know, as a bishop, as a priest, we're called to, uh, to shepherd uh, in Christ's name the people entrusted to our pastoral care. Even the word pastoral, you know, of pasture comes from this uh, uh, universal and simple uh, but very profound uh, notion of, uh, of uh, shepherd and sheep. And uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I'm the gate. And he says, those who enter through me will be saved. And I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that's so important, you know, that Christ is this good shepherd. And uh, he's the one who we have to follow to wind up in the right place when we end our life here. So that becomes the model for anyone who would act or speak or teach in his name to be a good shepherd. Anyone who does something different is a thief and a robber. But uh, if, we, if we're if we true to him and his voice, recognize his voice, then we can't go wrong. 
there's so many competing and confusing voices that are vying for our attention in our world today. How difficult is it to recognize the voice of the shepherd? What are the stumbling blocks, for instance, prohibiting our recognizing the shepherd's voice today? Well, the world, the flesh, and the devil are the stumbling blocks, but uh, uh, an unbelieving world, a lustful kind of flesh, not just sexually, but lustful for, you know, as St. John says in his epistle, eyes hungry for all they see and the pride of life. Those are the kind of things that drag us down and the world that whispers into our ear that we should pursue, you know, this world, not God. But uh, we ha- Christ has given his voice to us in the, go- in the Gospels, in the sacraments, in the voice of the church. And so the message goes out through us. Uh, we, we bear witness to what Christ said in his invitation to follow him. And that's, that's there until the end of time. Jesus says that he has come so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What does he mean to have life and have it more abundantly? Well, the, you know, the world promises um, life, living life to the full and all that. But those are all dead ends because we weren't made for... Uh, you know, you can be gorged on the things of this world, and you won't be happy. You can have all the money and possessions and indulgence, and in the end, you're still empty because, as St. Augustine said so powerfully, God, Lord, our hearts uh, were made for you, and and they are ever restless until they rest in you. I mean, we are immortal beings created for higher things. And so if we if we don't follow Christ the Good Shepherd, if we don't take to heart his, what he teaches us if we don't participate in his life through the sacraments and through the, the the gospels well then yeah i mean in the end what do we have when we close our eyes on this world you know it's not just about eternity but even in this world you could possess everything and still you would want more because only god can really satisfy the human heart true true Let's look at some of the questions submitted by our listeners. For instance, Allison from Torrington says, From reading more about the Archbishop's annual appeal, I discovered that the Archdiocese provides funding for a local charity outside of the Catholic Church where I just started as a volunteer. My question is twofold. Can I designate my donation to benefit a specific organization or ministry? And what percentage of the amount I donate is used directly for program services as opposed to administrative fees? Well, yes, you could, uh, for example, uh, say you'd like uh, it to go to the Vicariate Outreach Program, uh, to food pantries or to soup kitchens. But you have to remember that the ones that the AAA uh, helps fund are nominated by the local pastors. So, you know, it's just not any uh, charity out there. But if someone is nominated for that, you know, we can't restrict a gift to a specific charity because they might not be on the list of, of those things that are, are those charities that we uh, support. As far as, uh, you know, administrative costs, we make a point of ensuring that uh, the, the money donated to the uh, fund are not used for administrative fees. That is to say that we have to find, and we do find other ways of paying any administrative fees, because obviously to any kind of thing like this, every charity has administrative fees, but they don't come from the monies that are actually contributed to the, uh, to the and, uh, AAA uh, in, in that year. Uh, we, we do publish uh, uh, a kind of report of the annual appeal every year. I believe it's online. you can find it online on our Archdiocesan website. True, true. Rita from Summers also has a question. 
Rita says, I was talking to a few friends who insist that a do-not-resuscitate order is unethical. They believe a patient in an emergency situation should always be resuscitated so that the family can evaluate with some time and care. I'm not sure how I feel about this subject. Is there any doctrine or teaching in the church against having a do-not-resuscitate order? Well, yes, uh, it, it depends on the circumstances. The moral principle uh, involved uh, can be expressed this way, that a do-not-resuscitate order is morally permissible if one can judge that the uh, treatment they're receiving to keep them alive is excessively burdensome for the patient, for that particular patient, uh, taking into account his or her situation and his or her physical and moral resources. You know, this question of do not resuscitate has to do with uh, what morally we would talk about as proportionate or disproportionate means of preserving life. You know, proportionate means uh, that it doesn't entail excessive burden or impose excessive expense of the family or the community to a person who's suffering from a situation that is only getting worse. You know, disproportionate means are those that are uh, in the in the in the patient's judgment do not offer a reasonable hope of recovery or entail an excessive burden or impose an excessive expense on the family or the community. We have to be very careful here that we're not talking about suicide. We're talking about a, a situation where the person's medical condition is already very grave, and again, it's it has to do with what is the possibility of um, of uh, preserving life. Amber from Shelton says, During Lent, one of our parish ministries encouraged parishioners to attend daily Mass and ran a weekly evening social Bible study. Now that Easter Sunday has passed, attendance at daily Mass has dropped and the weekly meeting stopped. This saddens me. I enjoyed the fellowship and getting more familiar with the Bible. I mentioned it to one of the parish leaders, and they didn't seem too concerned. What can I do to show them that we need this type of encouragement and interaction to strengthen our faith? Well, of course, you know, if things come and go during the course of the year, I'm very happy to know that you benefited so much from it. Uh, but, you know, people have other responsibilities, and we, we do other things. Uh, maybe one of the ways you could uh, encourage this kind of thing to continue in some form is by volunteering yourself to help with it. When we have something special for Lent or for Advent or whatever, or even a Bible study, uh, it may go on for a time, but then it's, you know, we go on to something else. Kelly from Litchfield says, I think everyone can agree that noise and distraction cause Christians of all ages to struggle most deeply with God as a personal reality in their lives. What advice can you give us when we are lured to distractions when we are trying to pray? Well, distraction in prayer is a very common uh, phenomenon. You know, sure. for us uh, human beings in the material world, to raise, you know, what is prayer? Raising our mind and heart to God. Uh, but I think we have to be careful. You know, there are many ways to pray. I mean, you can be praying at Mass. You can be praying by saying the Rosary, saying certain prayers. You can be praying in your own words, which is very important. And sometimes the simplest things uh, are can be the best uh, simply to take time during the day uh, frequently to turn our thoughts to God and to, to say, you know, Lord, increase my faith. Uh, Jesus, I love you. Sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on me. It's almost as if God is standing there. Well, he is, actually. Uh, uh, and heaven is present to you. And you just, in the um, silence of your heart, 
you acknowledge that and offer some kind of, of, of praise or thanks or adoration. Uh, so it doesn't always have to be, you know, a formal kind of thing. Uh, to be a prayerful person is to always feel that you're being accompanied by heaven, by Jesus, by God, by the angels, the saints, our Blessed Mother, and to acknowledge that in some ways you go through the day. Suzanne from Granby says, I was delighted to hear that Connecticut's aid in dying bill failed to pass the Judiciary Committee, but I am still very concerned that this isn't the last time we will have a bill like this introduced. Polls show Connecticut voters are supportive of medical aid in dying. Over 75% of Connecticut voters feel that allowing doctors to legally prescribe lethal drugs to help terminally ill patients end their own lives should be an end-of-life option in the state. Is there anything being done within the Archdiocese to change the mind of Connecticut voters? The only thing I can say is, first of all, this is not just a Catholic effort. You know, as I recall, even the Alzheimer's Association or Society came out against it. People with disabilities come out against it. Because quite apart from the moral question of the permissibility of such a thing, uh, there's also the, uh, the grave danger of imposing death on people under the guise of suicide, uh, you know. And if you want to, to see, I, I don't have the facts and figures before me as we speak, but if you look at what happens in states and countries where this kind of suicide is allowed, it, is, it really is a slippery slope. Uh, not just because we're saying it, but because you see what, what happens. Uh, uh, and, and when you say to people that uh, suicide is uh, morally permissible, I can assure you that a lot of people start to do that who are not medically uh, ill uh, or have, you know, it be, you, can, you can find a lot of excuses for people killing themselves. And I think, you know, it was very clever and very powerful and very true the motto that has been used uh, in this campaign to say, don't jump, yeah. you know, don't jump. Don't, if you're standing on that bridge, who of us would tell the person to jump off if they want to commit suicide? And they would say, well, well, but it's different. No, it's not different. A person who wants to jump off the bridge and kill themselves very often is suffering terrible mental anguish, uh, you know, or may have medical problems. And so it's easy to kind of whitewash this and say, oh, well, a poor elderly person who's suffering uh, needlessly and but that's not where this all ends by any means. And remember, too, that uh, the disability people, communities, like I said, Alzheimer's, they see what's, where this all leads. And then you get unscrupulous people who uh, want to get rid of uh, somebody because they're looking for that inheritance. There are all kinds of things. You know, God's commandments have, and, and the moral boundaries that we have are there for our good. And uh, I, I think people who feel that somehow they're alleviating suffering by letting people commit suicide, I think they really are naive and, and they don't understand the ramifications uh, of what this is. And as I say, if you, if you want to take this seriously, look and see, look at the suicide rates in places where, where this kind of thing is permitted. Look in Europe at what's happening in some of these countries and think, think again about uh, that this is not good. And one last question, Archbishop uh, Brian from Weathersfield says, At Mass, just before the distribution of communion to people, the priest breaks the host into pieces. What is the significance of this fraction of the host? In addition, depending on the priest, the shape of this fractioned host is different. Are there any laid-down norms for this? The fractio panis, the breaking of the bread. You remember that we just heard the Gospel, uh, that Jesus uh, on the road to Amos 
how he was recognized by the disciples uh, after he explained the scriptures to them. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. I think it has to do with the fact that it's the uh, element of sharing. We make individual hosts that are, you know, already divided individually. But I think in the the very uh, origins uh, in the Last Supper, we're talking about bread that is not already individually prepared, but is the breaking of the loaf to be shared among those who are receiving. So I think, and of course it takes on a great significance uh, in the Eucharist from the beginning, because obviously it's not just a private reception of a piece of bread uh, that has become the body of Christ, but it is the actual sharing, the fraxio, the, the breaking of the bread. I mean, we still talk about that in kind of quaint terms about breaking bread together as a way of talking about sharing a meal. So it has all of that symbolic significance to it, and it's still retained in the uh, celebration of Mass. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time. Once again, can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Heavenly Father, as we continue to rejoice in uh, the Easter season at the victory of Christ over sin and death, we ask your blessing upon us, upon the church and our world, that the gift of his peace may prevail in our hearts and in our communities and in our world. We're mindful of the people who are suffering injustices and war, places like Ukraine and so many other places, that uh, we may be uh, reach out compassionately uh, to others, that we may be workers for peace, and that uh, we may always be peacemakers ourselves in all that we do and be just in all our dealings and charitable. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week when I'm sure we'll have many thoughtful questions for you from our listeners. Until then, enjoy this week. You too. Thank you. <laughs>